this morning is taken from Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 25. If you'd like to follow along in your own Bibles, Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 25, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Listen as we read together the authoritative and immutable Word of God. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you would turn in your Bibles a few pages backwards to the epistle of Philippians, I want to read verses 1 through 5 as we did last week. Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, now, you know, we, we got a little thing for that first word there, remember? Uh, therefore, the word therefore, you know, every time you hear it. Uh, I learned this a long time ago when I first started really paying attention to Scripture and listening to sermons. Every time you see the word therefore, you ought to ask why it's there. You know, what's, what's the therefore, therefore? And we've learned um, in the past few weeks, we know that the word therefore, it directs us backwards to verses 27 through 30. And that tells us to go back to one dimension of harmony that has to do with the church. All of us standing shoulder to shoulder as we face the world, as we preach the gospel, as we have the message of the gospel in our mouths. We are to go out. We are to make disciples. We are to baptize or mark them with water. We're to go out and teach them the will of God. All nations 
all of them. We do this striving together. We do this facing them firm together, and we endure suffering together. We are not to be intimidated. We are to be ready and uh, have courage as we face the world. Then the word, therefore, it bridges us to the next part of this passage, which is verses 1 through 5. And we see this harmony that we have not when we face the world, but when we face each other. We could call this harmony of face-to-face talking to each other. And last week, I think you wanted to prove to me you heard the sermon because many of you stayed at least after I left. <laughs> I think we locked, somebody else locked the building up. So you were proving to me that you got the sermon. The apostle calls the Philippian church and the apostle calls the Good Shepherd OPC church to make Christ's joy complete. And he does this, he says, let's be harmonious. Before he gives this command, we find in verse 2, make my joy complete. He appeals to us in four ways. And basically he asserts these things are real and true. He says if, but we said last week that if means this is real. This is what's going on in this church. There is encouragement in this church. And so he says there's a lot of things to be joyful about. And one of the things if you go and you study, you know, you study about how to study the Bible. Uh, one of the things I'll tell you to do is go find a theme. Well, one of the themes of the book of Philippians is joy. Well, he's joyful that they pray for him, and he's joyful that they're concerned for him, and he's joyful that they give money to him, and he's joyful that they sent this their messenger to him. And I think about, remember, remember, we'll go back a little bit in the past. Remember, he's in a prison, and he's alone. And so they send a man. There's a, they're hundreds of miles away. Send a man to just be with the Apostle Paul. So he is full of joy, but now Paul says, make my joy complete. And he says, these are things that are real in the life of your church. There is encouragement or cheering counsel. There are people who are full of words that build each other up. There is love in this church. There is fellowship in this church. There are people who have tender affections who express them in kind and compassionate ways. There are things there. Remember, I think of my kids, they probably laugh at me. When I was growing up, and when I was, I think it was 13, um, y'all, I'll date myself, but Earl Campbell went to the state playoffs in 1974. And uh, I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but Earl Campbell went to my high, my junior high, and I knew Earl Campbell. I put my hand in his hands, and it covered it completely over. But when they won state, I was listening to it, Okay. I was all about go to state. We always and, and so from then on out, I'll tell my kids, like at night sometimes I go, okay, it's time to go to bed all the way to state. Let's, you know, you have ears, use that one yet, Thomas? All the way to state, guys. To the end, let's get it done. Let's go there. And so the goal is here's all the way to state. The baseball coach last week said, all the way to state, guys. These things are true about you. You have played this well. You have done this thing. And this is what he's saying. All the way to state, guys. Make my joy complete. The apostle's joy is not yet full, but he wants it to be full. And he says, here's how to make it full. And the apostle's great concern for this church and our church is spiritual progress. You and I, we stand in a place today, we're our mission work. The two people that 
I'm, I'm not bragging on them, but they're sitting right here. The two people that got this thing started are right here in front of us. And so we've been having Bible studies. It grew into a bigger thing. It's called a mission work of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And so we are trusting God to make us a particular church. But when, God willing, it becomes a particular church, are we done? Okay, we're done. No more effort. No more prayers. We've made it. We've arrived. Is that what you think? Well, we all know that's not true. We all know we need to grow. Tonight, I'm going to challenge you. Come back tonight and we'll talk about the thousand little things that need to be done so that we stay sitting beside each other and not on couches on opposite ends of the couches. When you see a woman come to a woman and a man come to, to you for counsel on Wednesday night at church for six months, and they come in separate cars, and they sit on opposite sides of the room, there's a thousand, it's not a big thing that's in between them. It's a thousand little things. And we do the small things. We stay close together, we stay on the couch. We can love to bear each other's burdens better. We can love to talk. We can learn to talk to each other better. Surely we can. Now, so here we are. How are we going to keep this improvement going? How are we going to make Christ's joy complete or the apostles' joy complete? He says, by being harmonious. Now, I picked, I picked the word harmonious because if you look at verse, <laughs> verse 2, he says it in four ways. He just piles words up. I mean, it's like, okay, Paul, <laughs> are you done now? By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in one spirit. That's one word in the Greek, united in one spirit. That's one word in the Greek. And it, and it speaks of being in the same space. It's kind of like, here, I'll take my coat off because these guys like for me to take my coat off. This material, right? This material, and here's a spot of material. There's material above. There's material below. There's material to the right. There's material to the left. And there's material right there in the middle. It's all tied together to all the stuff around it. And that's what he's saying. We're united in one spirit. We're all part. We're all tied together like pieces of cloth, all knit together. So we have shared mind. We have shared love. We have shared spirit or space. And then he says intent on one purpose. So we're supposed to have a shared mind, shared love, shared spirit or space, and shared intention or purpose. That's what he's saying in all those words. And all of these words talk about what's going on in our hearts. Think about that. It's mind, right? That's your mind. Love starts in the heart. Spirit or spirit is side souls that are tied together. Same souled. We are, he's piling up all these words to say we need to work at these things. How can I have this? Well, the only way we can have shared minds and shared love and shared space and shared purpose is we're going to have to share what it means to think together. We start right now. This is where you learn to think together. You read the same Bible together. You hear the same sermons together. You talk to it together after the service about, hopefully, the sermons and go to Bible studies and talk about those same words together, shared 
minds. Shared love, the love that Christ has given you, you're giving to others. Shared space means that you are going to have to literally sit in front of somebody or sit behind somebody or sit to the left or sit to the right of somebody just like cloth. And you are there. And then after that's all done, you stand up and you talk to each other. And now there's some of us who, um, I was out with Kyle the other day, Mr. Harris. (laughs) Mr. Harris said, he said this, he said, he said, Pastor, I'm really good at inviting people to church. Said, yeah, you are. He tells me he's got his line down when we go out and knock on doors. He says, but you got the gift of gab and I don't. And some people who have the gift of gab have to stop and they have to stop and let other people do some talking and listen. And there's other people who are shy in the congregation and, and we don't want to push you too hard. We don't want to push you too hard, but we, we want you to talk some. You see? And so we want to learn to talk together, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> and so we, we work at this thing. And as we do this, we, we know that it's going to be the work of our entire lives. It's something that we have to go out and do. You cannot, I wish, I wish we could do this. I wish we could take our Bibles, put them underneath our pillows, and go to sleep on them, and this stuff would just go into us. I wish we could take one of those little things. What do you what are you guys, computer guys? You know, your little your little thing that you stick in your computer's got all your data in it. I wish I could just I wish I could just download all that stuff. You know, and it's just there. But it doesn't work that way. We have to work it in. We have to intentionally do this. I've got in my notes here something that I wanted in California. We had a guy we call the meeting Nazi. And everybody called him the meeting Nazi because he made everybody have meetings. And everybody got kind of mad at him sometimes, but then they realized he was right. We need to sit down and have some meetings so that we can make some decisions and so we can move along. And so we called him the meeting Nazi, Brad DeBoer, meeting Nazi. Some of us have our Nazis in other ways, right? I mean that in, you know, the right way. God help me. But sometimes we don't have the same mind and we find out we don't have the same mind. And sometimes we find out that we don't, Love like we ought. Sometimes here we are, we're working, and we don't have the same desire to glorify God as we ought. We have to learn to love each other, and we have to, you know, some of us are really great at our IQ stuff. I can pick some of you guys out. I know y'all got some great IQs. But what we have to work on in the congregation is RQ. We have to work on relationship quotient. We have to work on loving each other and listening to each other and working on that relationship and being smart in relationships. I remember one of the ladies, or several of the ladies, came to me one time and they said, I know who you are. And I said, what do you mean by that? Kind of sounds good. You don't really know me, do you? She said, yeah, I know you've got a master's degree in science. and I know you've got a master's degree in divinity. I know you've been a pastor before. But before you share any knowledge with me, I wanted to make sure you were nice to me. <laughs> I wanted to make sure you could relate to me. I wanted to make sure you would be kind to me. Is there any hope for our church to um, grow? Yeah, there is. Years ago, I was at my mother's house for Christmas in 2007. In March of 2007, my, my dad died. And this is Christmas of 2007, so this is the first Christmas without Daddy. And we got about 30-something people all around the Christmas tree, and Mom's tears are flowing, and everybody's opening their gifts, and 
paper here and paper there. And all of a sudden, Evan is like three years old and he just blowing it up. Now that was my dad and I, that was our term for when somebody's acting out. So Evan's over there blowing it up. And of course, this is causing Lori all kinds of problems because she, she thinks that everybody thinks that she's not being a good mother and can't control her kid. <laughs> so, 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 okay, so he calms down. And everything goes back to normal. Mom's crying. The presents are opening and kids are excited and everybody's waiting on their turn. And then Evan's blowing it up again. And I said, one time's one, time's one thing. But a second time, something's up. So I'm just sitting there like this, and all of it's going on right here, and I just cast my eyes over there where Evan's at, and I start seeing a 17-year-old person's hand coming through the crowd and digging in his side. And then, he, of course, he starts blowing it up again. So I walked over to this nephew of mine's ear, and I stood beside him, and I said, I see what you're doing. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I said, yeah, 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 you are doing something. You're poking Evan in the stomach, and that's why he's acting out. Well, I didn't do anything. I said, yeah, you are. I said, stop doing it. And so from, so from then on out, I've always told my wife and I've always told myself, there's hope for this guy because he's 17. I mean, there's hope that he might grow up and mature a little bit, you know, and become a 38-year-old guy. There's hope that he's going to grow up and be married one day and have a wife and a child and he's got one coming. He's 32 years old right now. There's hope. There's hope, you see, for a young man to grow up. And there's hope for us. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 1 through 5, that there's hope. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and there's hope. And the Bible tells us that we have hope and it's not going to disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And there's hope. There's hope. And what that means is the love of God's been poured out. It means that the love of God has been poured into you in such a way that it doesn't evaporate we got all this rain going on, right? And all this water is all up, but it's going to evaporate and go back down. Our alligators are going to be sad because they're not going to have as much water to swim in. But, you know, here's the thing. When he pours out his love in us, it doesn't evaporate. It's to the full right now. The love of God has been poured out in you, and that is your hope that you and I can go out and we can obey this command to make my joy complete by being of the same mind. So, second. Make my joy complete by being humble. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. So what's the greatest enemy to the harmony? What's the greatest enemy to humility? And we all know the answer is, starts with a P, pride. What does Lewis call pride? He calls it the monster sin, right? The monster sin. And Calvin calls he calls selfishness and empty conceit, he calls them pest. <laughs> Isn't that great? Do we need pest exterminate, uh, uh, you know, somebody to come and exterminate these pests? Now, if you know about the game of Monopoly, which I haven't played in a while, but, you know, I remember Monopoly pretty good. You know, you get your $1,500 at the very beginning, and you go around the board, you collect $200, hopefully if you don't fall on the wrong square and you you build your property you buy your property you buy houses you buy hotels and you hope that people fall on your piece of property and then you're just going to make them pay the rent and then there's eventually comes a point in time the goal in the game of monopoly is to crush your opponent it's to crush them and we do it with smiles and we do it with coke and we do it with popcorn and we do it and it's fun right 
Because eventually you're going to have to, you know, you're going to go bankrupt trying to pay for everything you owe to me. But if that kind of rivalry happens in the church without the pop court and without the, you know, the cokes and without the smiles, well, that's selfishness. Selfishness is where we try to promote ourselves and empty conceit is where we seek to establish ourselves over others. Remember what we said about Bobby Fischer, the world chess champion last week? He held the whole world in contempt. Let me ask you a question. How many friends do you think Bobby had? He didn't have any friends, did he? Our church, we can't do that in our church. Calvin says these are pests that are most dangerous to the harmony and peace of the church. And so in the community at Philippi, the apostle is concerned about these two pests, and let's just call both of them equal to pride. Rivalry sprung up between two women who used to talk together and drink coffee together, Euodia and Syntyche. And if you go read chapter 3, you'll see that some of these folks in Philippi thought that they were more mature than others. And so Paul is going to seek to nip all of this in the bud. Pride is the enemy of the church. Now, when we were at the Church Planners Training Conference, Douglas Clawson has now become our General Secretary of Foreign Missions. And he, he challenged us to read some books on leadership by a guy named Patrick Lencioni. And in one of Lencioni's uh, lectures, he talks about the Chicago Bulls. Most of you folks maybe know about the Chicago Bulls. I think they won like six NBA championships. And so, you know, this is when Michael Jordan played for him. Well, Michael Jordan retires, and now Scottie Pippen is their best player. And so the game comes to the conclusion. It's like two or three seconds left. The coach calls a timeout. All the team comes over, gets around the coach. The coach looks at all five men and says, Tony Kukoc is going to make this shot and win the game for us. That's how it's going to work out. We're going to pass the ball to Tony. He's going to take the two-point two shot win the game for us. Scotty Pippen, who's now the number one player on the team, says, I'm the best player on the team. I take the last shot. The coach says, no, we're going to pass the ball to Tony. You're going to draw the defense to you, and Tony's going to make the last shot, and we will win the game. And he says, no, I'm the best player on the team. I take the last shot. He said, no. And, Tom, and then Scotty said, well, if I don't take the last shot, I don't go back in. You know what the coach said? So-and-so went for Pippen. Whoa. He's not thinking about, and Tony Kukoc made the two points and they won the game. Well, who is he thinking about? Is he thinking about the team? <laughs> He's not thinking about the team. It caused all kinds of problems. We can't think this way in our congregation. We can't say, hey, look, if I don't get my way, I'm not going to drink coffee with you. And worse than that, hey, I'm, if I don't get my way, I'm just going to take my toys and leave. can't think that way. We have to work together. We have to have a, he says, shared mind, shared love, shared space, shared purpose. You know what we do? <laughs> Guys, I talked to somebody who spent a meeting five hours and 35 minutes, a meeting, and you know what they talked about? They talked about this big of a disagreement. It's so in us so many times. Instead of looking at the thousand things we understand and love, we pick out one thing we disagree on. We just won't let it go. Mm. Pay up. You landed on my space. I'm going to get my way. I want to shoot. I'm going to shoot. 
And when we do this, what does Jesus say? You lose. First will be last. The last will be first. The self-promoters will be last. Those who are last will be first. What is the antidote to pride? What is the antidote to selfishness and empty conceit? Well, he says here, humility of mind to regard one another as more important than yourselves. That is what exterminates pride. Well, here's one of the questions that Calvin asked, and I, I, I just drain Calvin dry on this, okay? This is a guy who wrote before there was ever such a thing as psychology. How do I really admire somebody's excellence when I'm far beyond them as far as my maturity and my knowledge? How do I do that? Here's, here's what he says. Acknowledge your pride. The Bible tells us that we have to put off our pride and put on humility. Do it like you do in the morning. When you got up this morning, every one of us, we did our stuff. We did our hair, our teeth, hair, face. Teeth, hair, face, you know. And then we got ourselves all ready to go with our, put our ties on and all this stuff. Take your pride and take it off and put on the garment of humility. He gives us some help here. He said, admire the excellence in others. He says, here's how you do it. You seek to detect your own faults and to correct your own faults. And then you will be able to admire the, the excellence in others. And so here we go through a little, uh, a little guide here. Cry out, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked or hurtful way in me. When you do that, when you stop and when you cry out, what do you see? When you cry out, Lord, search me, know me, try me, what do you see? Well, Daniel saw sin and the prophet Isaiah said, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And you go through the Bible, and David says, I see my sin. And the rich young ruler, he, I mean, the, the prodigal son says, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. That's what we see. We see our own faults. One hymn writer says, Infinite, infinite sin upon sin, sin of not loving thee, sin of not trusting thee, infinite sin. So I detect my sin in front of a holy God. I see my sin and I begin to go about the business of correcting them. Now, let's be real careful not to, to run ourselves totally in the dirt. Each one of you have been gifted with the ability to, to edify the body of Christ. Each one of you, and maybe far beyond me. But when we do this little uh, guide that he gives to us about how to deal with with acknowledging others excellent the excellence in others we humble ourselves and we are putting on that humility and we're learning to use our gifts in not a puffed up way but in a way that's pleasing to the body of our lord jesus christ and so you go out and you are doing this and you're humbling yourself and you see your brother or you see your sister and you go wow that's really cool I had a lady that used to work out with me and she would, oh, she would just love to find any of the Christians in the gym and she'd go, look at that, look at that guy over there. He's got bad manners. <laughs> and I'd go, okay, what do I say? What do I say? So I looked at her and I said, I said, 
Now, I know that you're trying to like take a, take a notch out of this Christianity that, that you know I hold to. I said, but do you, do you know what that guy was like a year ago? What are you talking about? I said, oh, he used to use the worst language, and now he's much different. He may not have the manners that you have at 65, but wow, he's way different. And he worships God, and he's reading his Bible, and he's doing some things that, I mean, he's a very different. You see, I'm able to look at the brother and able to say, this is a person who we would be disagreeing on many things, but I'm able to say, that guy's very different. And so we look at each other and we go, wow, I see where that person's come from. I see the obstacles that person's been through. And so I am able to admire them and the excellence that is in them. I think the best example of all of this is the Apostle Paul. I mean, if you go read your New Testament, I think you'll find out. I think he's the greatest man who ever lived besides Jesus. He wrote almost half the New Testament. How many sermons did he preach for three years? It said he preached every single day, morning and evening in Ephesus. I don't know how many sermons is that. Advantages, accomplishments. At least two PhDs were trained by parents who were Pharisees, trained by Gamaliel, the Pharisee of all Pharisees, right? Advancing ahead of all his countrymen. And he says, if, if okay, let's ask Paul. Paul, how do you compare yourself to all the, the apostles? He goes, I'm the least. Paul, listen, how do you compare yourself to all the saints in the, all the churches? I'm the least. Paul, how do you compare yourself to all the sinners in the world? I'm the foremost of all of them. I mean, I think, I think these are words right out of Calvin. He had a sober assessment of himself, didn't he? He's the least. He could detect and correct his own faults, and he could admire the giftedness and excellence of others. We, he does it all through this letter. He talks about Timothy, and he says Timothy's great. He talks about Epaphroditus and talks about how he's wonderful. He talks about Euodia and Syntyche. If you ask him about the gospel, he'll fight you to the death over it. If you ask him about his apostleship, he'll defend it. But if you ask him about himself, he'll say he's the, most, he's the least. I personally believe that the reason that he did this is because in spite of all that he knew, he missed what the Old Testament was all about. What was it all about? What's the Old Testament all about, church? It's all about Jesus. And he doesn't see him. He's after him. He's going after all the people who love him. He's trying to kill him. He's saying, stone him. He's saying, here, you can, I'll hold your jackets for you. He goes after the Jesus that the whole Old Testament's about. And basically, I said it to these men this morning. He's basically saying, I did not deserve to have Jesus come and show himself to me on the road to Damascus. I don't deserve this. But you see, when we have a solemn and a clear assessment of ourselves, we can see our own sin, and we can acknowledge our pride, and we begin to look at the, at the good things, the excellence in others. Well, one more quick point. He says, make my joy complete by being helpful. In verse 4, he says, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. So if a person is admiring the excellence in others, they will um, also take care of their interests as well. He says something that we all know. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest. We all are going to look out for our own personal interest. He's echoing the first and second command. Love God and love your neighbor as your... 
self. You and I, we're going to love ourselves. That's given. That's a given. If you're married, men, you're married to a woman, the Bible tells us that our wives are part of us. Right? Part of us. We become one physically. We become one in our souls. We, we become one. And so you, sir, you go out and you're going to put sunscreen on your body. And you're going to brush your teeth and you're going to go out and comb your hair. And you're going to take care of yourself. But you're nuts if you don't take care of your wife. Because if you don't take care of your wife, you're hurting yourself. <laughs> you hear me, men? So I can sit here and I can say to you, I can say, Big Toe, you are not part of me. You are not a part of me. But just think about a hammer falling on your toe. If, you're, if a hammer falls on your toe, or if you go out and say, you're not a part of me, I'm going to show you, I'll hit you with a hammer, you'll find out that your big toe is a part of you. And you will hurt, and you will hurt, and you will hurt. And if you understand in a marriage that your wife's a part of you, you will take care of her the same way you take care of yourself. Now take that to the church. If I help you, I help myself. <laughs> if I love you, I love myself. If I do and care for you, I'm caring for myself. Are you listening to me, my, my own fan? Are you listening to me, guys? Are you listening to me, young people? If you love your mom and daddy, you love yourself. You're taking care of yourself. You're part of each other. You take care of each other. And, you know, if you do that, you won't smart for it. <laughs> You'll be smart for it. So remember that. Let's be smart for it and not smart for it. Harmony is humility. Harmony is helpfulness. And it makes the apostles' joy complete. Better still, it makes Jesus' joy complete. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, how powerful it is. We pray that we would be those who have hope that it can work out in us. And Lord, that we would make uh, your joy complete, Lord, by learning how to humble ourselves, learning how to take care of each other, learning how to admire one another. Everyone in front of me has a gift. Everyone in front of me can be admired for overcoming many things and even taking care of me and caring for me, even as we would seek to care for one another. We pray that we would be those who are helpful. We pray that we would understand that it's very smart to obey your word so that we might take care of ourselves even as we uh, are taking care of others. We pray that you'll help us sing our way out of, out of this room today and back home and then maybe back again tonight. We ask you that, that you would work in our hearts and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>